Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Mrs. Mouse. Hi, I was a mouse today. You just did a really mousy <laughs> thing like seconds ago. <laughs> Rob got us these those crazy bagels. Yummy. Courage bagels. Shout out. I opened up mine. I do remember there are two halves, and one of the halves I had already eaten half of, yeah. ironically, one quarter of the bagel. But when I opened it up, there was a, you couldn't call it more than a 0.1 bite <laughs> out of the other previously virgin side of the bagel. And I corrupted it. It was a mouse. It you was got, a little mouse. You got confused on who's who's. <laughs> you took a, the fakest bite ever out of it. No, that was a real big bite. That was the <laughs> tiniest bite ever. Really did look like a mouse bite. <laughs> and then how did you okay, this put is it together happened. that it wasn't yours? When your... I opened it, I was like, huh, this is missing half of its half. This is three quarters of a bagel. Rob must have eaten half. Oh, because he's a rascal. Well, no, I just thought, oh, some of it. Rob decided to split this between me and him, and he With ate half tea. of his half. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay? All right. So I took a bite of my half, and mm -hmm. then I thought, hmm, Rob would never do that. No, as rascally <laughs> as he is, he wouldn't <laughs> cut a bagel in half with his teeth. Yeah, so I thought, oh, this must be Dax's. So I went back up, and sure enough, there was a full-fledged, not-eaten bagel that was mine, and I uh, left that mouse bite just sit. If I were a tyrant about justice, I would insist that I take a 5% bite out of your... It's available. Okay. But I don't even know if I could make a bite that small. I'd have to just sink my incisor into it and like tear like a parrot off a that little bit. That is a huge... Oh, you... Well, I've gone in now. now. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, no, that is not the bite you took. Okay. Speaking of rascals, Ice T <laughs> is here. He is a rascal, as we found out. Yeah, he. Yeah, truly. Yeah, he's I mean, we been know he's a rapper. Stuff. We know he's an actor. Currently, in the longest running character, I know for sure, black character on television currently, and I think maybe just globally. Wow. At any rate, he's been on Law and Order Special Victims Unit (SVU). He's been on that show for two decades, basically. Yeah. Additionally, he has a new season of Law & Order SVU, September 22nd on NBC. I fell in love with him, as you'll learn, from his album Power and also being the title song of Colors, the Sean Penn, Robert Duvall movie in my youth in the mid-80s. I mean, he's one of the biggest rappers ever. Yes, but that's not what he's here to talk about. He's here to talk about Split Decision, a new book he has co-authored with a friend of his, Split Decision Life Stories, and it is about a friend of his who he used to do rascally things with, Rob Banks. But his friend went on a much different trajectory. It's a really fascinating story and spent a lot of time in prison, and they wrote a book about it. It's called Split Decision Life Stories. Okay, so this month's prompts for Armchair Anonymous have a spooky theme because it's Halloween. Yeah. Well, one of them is spooky and another one's also... They're all spooky. Which one isn't? Waking up drinking. That's spooky? <laughs> you could have woken up in a bathtub full of ice and your Ew, kidneys are gone. Scary. You could wake up in another state because you passed out in someone's car and they didn't know. You know what's not spooky? What? Pooping at the gym. That's spooky. <laughs> no, no, no. You would spook people if you were <laughs> next to them and you were in a deep bend for a squat. All right. Well, let's just lay them out. Let's okay. <laughs> okay. Let's walk through them. Okay. So question number one, what is the weirdest thing that's happened at a funeral? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's spooky. Death. Weirdest place you've woken up after a night of drinking. Or debauchery. Or coke use. 
No, right, that I'm includes teasing. Although you never go to sleep, so you can't. That's the upside of Coke, because oh. you don't wake up anymore. You're, you're always, you're always awake. Okay, the next one is the craziest ghost story. That you've experienced. Right. If you've had an encounter with a ghost, please tell us. Your craziest encounter with a ghost. Make it spooky. And spooky. Your spookiest encounter with a ghost. Okay, spookiest encounter with a ghost. And then lastly, in our once a month pooties <laughs> series, in our pooties series, yeah. this month's pooty prompt is, <laughs> tell us about a time you had an unauthorized evacuation at the gym. Yes. By the way, a gym can be loose a little bit. It could be a Pilates studio. That's right. It could be a indoor track, a track and field event. Yeah, swim. Yeah. Oh, mama. Hard to hide there. So if you'd like to submit a story, go to www.armchairexpertpod.com and follow the instructions on the webpage. Yeah, there's a giant bar at the top of the screen. Look at the giant bar and let us hear these stories. Let's let it rip. So please enjoy iced tea. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Intuit, the technology platform that builds your financial confidence. There's some things that school doesn't really teach you, like how to handle the financial world. I mean, look, I did 16 years of school and I didn't have a single class on accruing debt or a hole that that puts you on. Yeah, they don't teach you that. No effort made whatsoever. If you want more financial knowledge, now is a great time to learn with Intuit for Education program. It has free, easy-to-use resources, like getting a car loan with Credit Karma simulations, understanding taxes with TurboTax lessons, and even learning to run a business with QuickBooks simulations. Check out Intuit's free resources today at intuit.com slash education. Intuit, that's I-N-T-U-I-T dot com slash education. He's an Let's party. Let's go. Okay. If you'll indulge me, I've been practicing <laughs> this for 35 years, okay? Go for it. I know, Monica, you're I'm scared. I'm so scared. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking, king of my jungle, just a gangster stalking, living life like a firecracker, quick as my fuse, then dead as the death that the colors I choose, red or blue because of blood, it just don't matter, suck or die for your life when my shotgun scatter. We come to LA, we never die, just multiply colors. You know what? You said all the right words. I've heard all <laughs> kinds of words. When I say vendettas of death, people have said all kinds of weird shit that didn't have nothing to do with vendettas of death. Back to colors I choose. Can I hit you with my favorite rhyme in the whole song, though? 
Okay, go. You'll say to stop, but I'll say that I can't. My gang is family. Family is life. Peace is a dream. Reality is a knife. My color, my honor, my color, my all. When my color's upon me, one soldier stand tall. Tell me, what have you left me? What have I got? Last night in cold blood, young brother got shot. My homeboy got jacked. My mother's on crack. My sister can't work because her arms show tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Are you impressed? Madness, insanity, living profanity. Then some punk claiming they punk understanding understand me. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. What world do you live in? <laughs> Death is my set. Guess my religion. Oh, my God. How many times have people made you listen to them do that song? It's always humbling when people know your lyrics. And that's, I think, why we make records. It's normal for have people sing along with you. But when people can pick out the raps and come back bar for bar, that's a good feeling. I appreciate that. Oh, that was a blast. I would say me and all my friends in Detroit knew that I had power on vinyl. I mean, this is it, man. This is big for me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. It's always fun when you talk to people that really like you or are fans or somebody that knows you versus people that are interviewing have no clue who the fuck you are. They're talking to you. So how long have you been in the NFL? I'm like, what the fuck? Who do you know? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a player, but I'm not a football player. (laughs) You're pretty short for a power forward, but it's going well for you. How do you do it? (laughs) Yeah, that's when the interview is going downhill fast. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what interests me the most about you is something that I think I relate greatly to, which is I'm projecting, but I grew up around a lot of violence, a lot of hillbillies. You had to kind of stake out a persona so that you wouldn't get hurt. All my friends, they all came from trauma. Same thing as you. Dudes ended up in jail. A lot of dudes ended up dead. And getting to leave that, I really relate to. Like me moving to Los Angeles and going, oh my God, you can get along with everybody? Like you can look at a dude at Denny's and he just will smile at you? That's new. And holding on to some piece of that as your core and yet allowing yourself to evolve and change, I guess the more I let go of that, the more my life is full of love and abundance and happiness and peace. But it's still my identity in this interesting way. We're victims of our situation. You can't really help how a kid's going to grow up when he grows up in a high-energy, dangerous scenario. I mean, if you brought a kid over here that's been at war somewhere in the Middle East or something like that, he's got PTSD. He's not even a soldier, but he's got it. So there is something I think called urban PTSD. You know, if I hear a door slam, I'm ducking. Like, people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, yo, I grew up around this. 50 Cent said... This ain't how my mama raised me. This is how the hood made me. And some people are just to the core, evil, and they just want to hurt things. A lot of other people are just surviving the situation. And if you take them out of that environment, they turn into totally different people. Yeah. I got fucked early in life, orphan, having it rough, and my name's Tracy. You know, in the hood, they say that's a bitch name. Yeah. Isn't your middle name also Lauren? Lauren. Yeah, you got double whammy. And I got light eyes and I'm light skinned. So you got to teach these motherfuckers real quick. Everything with light skin and light eyes ain't to be fucked. So I had to put on an energy. I had to gain some weight. As we say, get swole a little bit. You have to put on a coat of armor to survive or you're going to be prey. Well, now that I'm 47, you're 62. I'm 64. Oh, six, I didn't mean to disrespect. <laughs> you know, now I'm on the other side of, you know, when you're getting 
toward your 50s and 60s, you're scared of saying your age. Once you cross the big 6-0, you're proud of every damn year. Okay, okay, good. I'm looking forward (laughs) to that. (laughs) But I'll say when I look back on my friends and myself, the irony is all that bravado is I'm scared. Like, I'm scared if I don't let you know right away, your hands are going to be full. I don't know, you might win, but your hands are going to be full. Go on to someone easier. That comes out of fear. That comes out of, if you don't have that, you're going to pay the price. And so really, it's all kind of heartbreaking to me now at this vantage point. Almost none of those guys, except for the evil ones you're talking about, and I agree. Everyone else is just trying not to get fucked with. Yeah, it's survival instincts. I got a small bulldog. He's the rowdiest bulldog because... He's scared, so he's going to bite you. And, you know, we used to say in the hood, the worst person is a scared motherfucker because a scared motherfucker will kill you. If you think you're going to bully him, he's like, well, I can't fight you. I can't do anything. So you got my back up against the wall, and I'll kill you. So it's an interesting dynamic. Being tough is at a premium. That's all you've got. So they got these terms, toxic masculinity, Since the beginning of time, since the dark ages, male masculinity has always been held as a premium, and it was also a commodity. The guy that had the biggest army, the soldier, even in the United States, we brag because we got the best killers. Do you remember the first time you were like, oh, I have to put on armor? Oh, yeah. Elementary school. Do you remember when or why? I just remember early in my life being challenged. I remember there was this kid down the street. He was older than me. He would just fuck with the youngsters. He was a bully. And one day he stood on my feet and looked at me. So I went home and I told my father and he said, what did you do? I said nothing. He said, you never let a motherfucker do that to you again. I don't care how big they are. You got to let them know that that's not going to happen again. I don't give a fuck if he beats your ass. Like my man said, they're going to go to a softer target. They want no resistance. So that's when I started street fighting. And I got in a lot of fights growing up. And I didn't really stop fist fighting until I got really into heavyweight into high school. I fought all through junior high. In L.A., they call it a fade. That's a new slang. So you get challenged to a fight. You either back down or you say, I catch that fade. When my bus came from Palms when I was in junior high, we stopped at a park. And almost once a week, there was a fight. Girls fighting, guys oh, fighting. Oh, same, same. <laughs> I said some of the best fights I've ever seen is girl fights in my junior high. <laughs> Madness. <laughs> yeah, and they tell you, yo, go meet me here. And they would fight at the bus stop. That way you couldn't get kicked out of school. Uh-huh. And you just learn hand-to-hand combat, so to speak. And this is before people were pulling guns and shooting all that. And once you got your ass kicked or you kicked the other person's ass, everybody would break it up, and that would be it. Yeah. yeah. Your story, there's so many layers. Moving to Newark, then moving to L.A. So I think I knew that stuff, but I didn't know your mom died of a heart attack in third grade. And that would be enough for you, I think. Yeah. That would be enough. That'd be like a high enough A score that you're... Probably fucked going forward when you lose mom in third grade. But a lot of kids are single parents. So even though my mother died, she died at an age. When you're in third grade, you truly don't understand death. This was the first person around me that died. I didn't understand it. And in the era when my mother passed, the kids weren't involved in the funerals enough. Somebody died, you just got shuttled off to an aunt. That was it. They hid it from you pretty much to, quote, protect you, imagine. Which I honestly believe it did. Because still today, I don't go to funerals. You could be my best friend if you pass. 
I want to remember us doing this interview. I don't want to see you in no box. I don't want that locked in my brain. What if just for shits and giggles, I do that Dominican Republican funeral and they got me staged on a motorcycle doing a wheelie? Like, you might come to that one, right? That's kind of... I might watch it on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) The odds are impossible. Your dad also dies of a heart attack at 13. You're definitely aware at that point, right? I'm aware, but... I don't know what's going to happen to me. You already ain't got no moms. I'm living with my dad and I got like a housekeeper lady that's helping us named Miss Sinoni. Beautiful lady that was like a second mom to me. She was there. When my father passed, I was just like, what's going to happen to me? Like, I just didn't know what happens. Am I going to an orphanage? And for some reason, I didn't cry either. I'd already gotten that little cold. When they sent me to my aunt's house in L.A., it was supposed to be for the summer. They were trying to figure out what to do with this kid. And then all my clothes showed up there. And then I was there. I just didn't know what was going on. As a kid, what you going to do? You're just going to do what the adults tell you to do. Yeah. I needed male validation. I fucking had to get it. Like, am I on track? Am I a man? And I relied on my friends for that. And I was like, what do we do? You ride a wheelie? Okay, I'll do that. You jump this thing? Okay. That kind of got relegated to all my peers. And I wonder if losing your dad at 13, who stepped in? Who were you trying to get validation from that you were doing it? Well, I moved into my aunt's house. I had a cousin named Earl. He had already got out of high school. He was kind of like a black hippie. He thought he was Jimi Hendrix. He was doing acid. (laughs) And that's where I got my rock influences because he kept the radio stuck on KMET and KLOS. I had to share a room with this dude. He was in a zone. (laughs) (laughs) I had another friend when I got to junior high named Billy Arnold, who was just like one of those kids that just had everything. He had a motorcycle. He had Mm. guns. He had (laughs) drugs. He was that kid. He was an adult. And he lived in the house with his mother and his sisters. But this was the kid. He had a fucking fine-ass girlfriend in junior high school. (laughs) Sure, sure. He was fucking. (laughs) Yeah, he was that guy. Had all the best clothes. I was like, damn, I go to my house. I don't have no action like that. I'm living in a real restricted. Because my aunt was a social worker. And she was an alcoholic also. So she was the person that would determine what kids would go to different homes but then come home and drink a pint of gin at night. I wasn't fucking with her. But then my buddy Billy died before he made it to high school, riding his motorcycle through an intersection and got killed. Oh, Oh my God. Being that free is maybe not that safe at that age. Yeah, it's a lot of of freedom at 13. (laughs) Right. I remember me and him, we used to steal his sister's car. We would get off the bus. Then we'd run and steal his sister's car. And then we would drive back around the other bus stops so the kids could see us. Of course. <laughs> we would be playing, I'm your pusher. I'm your mama. Oh, I'm your yeah. dad. And we played that record because it had the word nigga in it. It was the <laughs> hardest record ever. You know, you know you say that, play that part back. I'm that nigga in the alley. And yeah, I lost my friend in junior high school. And, you know, it was just, a weird situation at my aunt's house. So I couldn't really wait to get out of there. And I ended up getting out of there at 17. Okay, but again, we just got to recap. You lost your mom in third grade. You lost your dad and I guess it was probably sixth or seventh grade. And then you lose your best friend going into high school. Mm -hmm. This is an enormous amount of death. I have to imagine it kind of, well, A, it seems like death's quite possible and likely. It's around you, right? So this is a real option it feels pretty near i'd imagine and also 
life's not safe, right? Like your worldview at that point must be, shit, this place ain't that safe. You can just drop all the time. I remember I was going to kill this dude. I had this guy that was fucking with me at Palms named Richard. He was giving me problems, like wanting to talk shit, call me this, that, and the third. And I was around him. I was like, I could beat this motherfucker's ass, but I wanted to kill him. So I had access to a gun from my next door neighbor, a 45. I was really set to murder this kid. I had stayed home from school that day, and I knew he was going to get off the bus. It was premeditated. It was murder one. And I was going to walk up to him and just murder him. I was that pissed. And I know how much that pressure can get on somebody where they feel like there's no fucking other answer for this. And I sat there that day. And when that bus pulled up, I was just like, he ain't worth my life. Because I know I was going to spend the rest of my life in jail, too. And nothing never happened. I just backed down. I stood down. I had a whole day away from school to think about it. But when you get ready to kill... The thing about it is when they say guns kill, a cold heart kills. You zero out. I've been in many situations. I was in another situation where I was about to kill this dude. And before it happens, your body goes into this zero place. Like, fuck every fucking thing. It's a weird place. I'm not just talking about shooting in crowd. I'm talking about we getting ready to do this. You zero out and you go into this weird war. It's a dangerous place to be. Melly Mel had this record. He said, don't push me. I'm close to the edge. I'm trying. Not to lose my head. You never know <laughs> when somebody is close to the edge. You never know. Yeah. Oh, I think about this in another way. I'm ex-drug addict. And occasionally I remember I'll be at 7-Eleven and I'll think, you know, just because you quit doesn't mean everyone else did. <laughs> like, this guy could be up day four right now, not in his right mind. You were that way a lot. I think of that all the time. Like, you just don't know where anyone's at on the ride in that moment. And also being young, you're not really ready to make conscious decisions. How old are you right now? 47. 47. If you look back to when you was 18, Monica, if you look back to when you were 18, both you guys, tell me what percentage of the shit you thought was correct. Oh, 100. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's held up? Yeah, it's held up. Oh, five. Yeah, yeah, five, ten percent. Also, to your point, I was never looking beyond the end of the summer. Right, right, Or right. at best, I was looking to, like, let's make it to Christmas break. I'm not, but I was never looking years ahead. Well, you couldn't. Your frontal lobe isn't <laughs> yeah, even fully yeah. developed enough to be able to do that. Yeah. When you're adolescent, you're actually almost insane compared to the way an adult would think. So you don't think of all these different things. And fortunately, that situation, I thought about the ramifications of this action, and I saved my own life that day. Can I ask, yeah. too, I wonder if just the notion that you had gotten yourself there, I also imagine you didn't really have anyone looking at you. Mom's gone. Dad's gone. If you do something that you're ashamed of, well, who's even around to witness this? I'm on my own. I fuck up. That's just me that knows, basically. That matures you fast. So when all of my friends could be broke, they got no money in their pocket, I would be broke with $100 or I'd be broke with $500 because when I actually tapped out, I couldn't eat. So you could get broke with me, but you're going to go home to mama's house. You're going to go to your cousin's house. And once I got out of high school, if I didn't have any money, I had no place to sleep. Being on your own is difficult. And there's a lot of adults that still aren't on their own. They live with their parents, someone supporting them. Being on your own... It, it's hard. Just surviving, period, yeah. paying your bills and eating is difficult. Mm -hmm. 
So what age do you meet Spike? I met Spike after I came back from the Army. So I went in the Army when I was like 18, 19, did four years. You had had a kid, right? Yeah, I had my daughter when I was in high school. When I was in the 12th grade, I got my own apartment, $250 a month Social Security. I spent $100 on the crib, $100 on food. I had $50 in my pocket. So we're selling weed. We're trying to take that 50 and flip it. I had my daughter because I just was not that familiar with having sex. I was just young. You didn't have a dad to pull you aside and say, hey, here's how this works. And I'm old. You almost had to get a prescription to get condoms, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they had that lambskin, just a saggy bag over it. It was not like it is now. They give them out in school. So I'm like, oh, shit, she's pregnant, right? So me being an orphan, I'm like, well, I want the baby. She was too young. She was in the 10th grade. We had the child. I decided I'm going to have to get responsible. I went into the military. I did four years. Now, when I came out, now the cats that was small-time kids, now they hustling, for real. Now it's not just weed, it's coke. They were robbing banks. They were doing everything. I just fell in place with them guys. And Spike pulled up. There were different crews. Like, we were in the 40s. Spike's from the 30s, which is called the Harlem Crips area. This is Place off of Crenshaw, like 40 Place, 30 Place. Those streets, is that what it references? The way you break down L.A. gangs is in the blocks. So let's say go down Crenshaw or Western, all those go north to south. But if you're in the 20s, that's 20s. Those are the bloods, 20 outlaws. Piru are from Compton. They're a separate gang inside of the bloods. If you got the 30s, those are Harlem Crips. You got the 40s, those are now Crips. You got the 60s, those are the rolling 60 Crips. You got the 80s, those are the eight-trade gangsters. They're usually named after the most popping street in that 10-block area. Anything that's not a Crip is a blood by default. If it's a Crip gang, the Crip gang will have the word Crip connected to it. So it's the Harlem Crips, Hoover Crips, West Side Crips, Underground Crips. Bloods are bounty hunters, bishops, Pyrus, Denver Lanes, Athen Park Boys, Inglewood Family. They don't call themselves Inglewood family bloods. They're just bloods because they're not Crips. It's deep. So he comes from 30s, which were called the Harlem Godfathers, which just turned into the Harlem Crips. Don't ask me how the word Harlem got connected to an L.A. gang. Sure. That's another story. (laughs) One of the things the players used to do at this time, I'm hanging with the players because I never was in a gang. I was hanging around with players. We would trade cars. So my boy Nat the Cat had a Jag. And one of these cats out of his crew, T-Money Bonaventure type. That's one of the most player named T-Money Bonaventure type. <laughs> that's smooth. That's off the Pontiac Bonaventure. That's a luxury car there. I was with him when he got that name because we were trying to get to a party at the Bonaventure Hotel. Mm. Mm-hmm. And his name was just T-Money that night. This is a legendary story. They wouldn't <laughs> let us in. And he said, bitch. Do you not know who I am? I'm T-Money Bonaventure, tight. (laughs) (laughs) So that stuck with him. But anyway, T-Money had a Russ Cadillac on spokes, and we decided, you guys ride our car for a minute. We'll swap cars like players do. And Spike was with him. And I see this cat leaning up against the car. The way we dressed was Sergio Kikini sweatsuits, Fila sweatsuits, very high-end, Louis Vuitton, all that stuff. And I'm like, who is this player? And then he noticed me, and we just became friends. I just liked his energy. And Spike can talk, and I'm the talker. So we just clicked. What was his background? Because, again, if I zoom out and I go, oh, 
That's interesting. Every single friend I had growing up was from divorced parents. Oh, that's curious. I didn't realize it when I was doing it, but now I go, oh, did Spike have a similar background as yours where you guys understood each other? I'm going to tell you the honest God truth. I had no understanding of Spike's parents or background or family till we wrote this book. Mm. No shit. I knew Spike had a brother who was a gangbanger. That's why Spike had power over in his neighborhood. His brother was an OG named Turk. And then his other brother was a thief. He was a hustler. I knew that much. I didn't know about his mom, his grandma, all that stuff. I just learned that in this book. One thing about street cats, we don't divulge too much personal information to each other. But that don't mean you don't see each other, right? Like, yes, I agree. You might not have sat down and had a big share all. Like, I never screen for friends and say, oh, do you have a violent fucking stepdad? Let's hang. <laughs> But right. damn it, if we all didn't have violent stepdads, you know, we saw each other somehow. So you and Spike become friends. And is it safe to say he's a little deeper in it than you are? No, I was deeper because I was already running a crew. So it was just more like he was in another team and he decided to come over to my team and bring his expertise to my team. Spike's athletic. Spike was a baseball player. And a lot of the stuff we were doing, some of the escapes were basically parkour. So I was very strategic in making the getaways. And you couldn't chase us. Like, if we got away 50 feet from you, you'd never catch us. It would just be difficult unless you was really in good fucking shape. And still, you had no reason to shoot us because we weren't using guns. And how much time did you guys spend together doing hood rat shit? Years. Was he your best friend at that time? Not my best friend. Nat the Cat was my best friend because that's where I was almost living. Spike would come and go. I was good friends with his cousin, Rich. Rich was the youngest hustler in the neighborhood. Spike and him hit a big lick early, and Rich was like 11 or 12, bought a Seville, and would drive it in through the hood, sitting on phone books. He was like Doogie Howser, <laughs> Doogie Howser gangster. But we always had little kids with us too. There was another kid. I don't like saying names of people that ain't in a book. It was another kid that was young. And that was part of the lick. We'd go in and we'd do the distraction and the kid would crawl behind the case. Rich would always do this thing where he would go into the back room and try to find a safe with his dick out. <laughs> <laughs> and if they caught him, he'd be like, I'm looking for the bathroom. And they would be like, ah, what are you doing? And like, ah, I have to pee. That's clever. <laughs> hey, man, there's so much of this shit going on. You know, the funny thing is when we wrote the book, I didn't want to write a how-to manual on committing crime. So we brushed over a lot of shit. Unless the question is posed to me, I won't speak on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX.
We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were some... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be Rob specific. and I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, which is this attic. <laughs> But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dax today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dax. We are supported by Sleep Number. Oh, mattresses can be a pretty big purchase. It's kind of like a home. You and your partner have to shop around for one that you'll both love that's comfortable and suited to your preferences. Well, I'm about to make your lives a whole lot easier. Instead of hopping around from store to store, just check out Sleep Number Smart Beds. They're designed for you and your partner's ever-evolving sleep needs. When you see it, you'll know it's the one. I mean, this just changed the lives of my bride and I. The fact that we didn't have to compromise on the firmness of the mattress and the fact that it can evolve as we evolve is incredible. Sleep Number is great because it's all about what you need. You can adjust the firmness to your ideal settings on each side, perfect for couples. The smart beds respond and adjust to your movements throughout the night to help you sleep better. My Sleep Number is an 85. Whether you need something with more support or something to help quiet the snores, Sleep Number has you covered. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, you end up longest running drama on TV tons of albums me being obsessed knowing the lyrics of that song at 12 shouldn't have known those lyrics where did the path diverge the path started to diverge when rap kind of started to be the thing and anybody in the game knows that you're gonna run into the odds eventually and i liked hip-hop hip-hop was so intoxicating when i saw the breakers on that's incredible i was like yo this shit is dope i want to do that now, I'd already learned how to make raps because I was rapping in high school doing gangbanger rhymes to keep the gangbangers at bay. So I just was doing it on the side. Like, I would go to clubs and I would rap. The thing of it was, as I would rap, I would never rap about anything criminal. I would rap like rappers rap. Throw your hands in the air. The party's over here. The party's over there. I would dress like the rappers. I would wear spikes and shit. I'm, like, trying to be hip-hop. Then it kind of started to hit. You know, we did breaking. We got a platinum record off that. When I did Six in the Morning, the identity kicked in. And that was a crime rhyme. And the fans went bananas for it. And I was like, people really want to hear this negative ass shit? Like, this is my life. And I just didn't realize how many kids were still involved in shit like this. So I said, you know what I'll do? I'll write it, but I'll always try to bank it into the problems that come along with it. 
in my other book, I had this story called Too Famous to Steal. I had a convertible Porsche all hooked up. I needed a part, and the part was on another hot car. So I'm telling my boys, get me the motherfucking part. Like, what's happening? And they were like, oh, man. I said, where's the shit? Where's the car at? So to get to this car, you have to walk through the parking complex. I walked right past the apartment. I'm in the car stealing by myself, and all these <laughs> kids come outside. And they're like, iced tea. Oh <laughs> we want to take pictures. Now, these little motherfuckers probably saw me in breaking or some shit. Now I'm standing in a G-ride, stealing. <laughs> now the mothers come out. Oh, my God. Somebody got a picture of me standing in front of that hot Porsche. Some fan out there. After that night, I called the homies. I'm like, this car can't be here in the morning. And they moved it. But that was the moment that I said, nah, this right here, no more. Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you realize it's time to pick and commit. Yeah, but dig this. I went broke when I picked rap. Even on a rap album back in those days, you might make after taxes, couple hundred grand, we could make that in a half hour. It's a pay cut. So I set my guys down. At that time, we had already created Rhyme Syndicate, all the different rap groups in LA. And I told everybody, I'm done. I'm not breaking the law. I can't. And also, don't talk to me about anything you're doing. Treat me like I'm bugged. Treat me like the feds are watching me. Because I want to be able to pass a polygraph. I want to be able to say, I do not fucking know. You can't snitch if you don't know. Spike heard that message and decided to continue. And also, I'm taking him on tour. You know, you might make a few dollars with me on tour, but nothing compared to what you can make in the street. Then I go back to my life being iced tea, and you're kind of just waiting on the next show or something. What are you going to do? He knew he couldn't tell me about anything because I'd already made that clear. And all this shit that was going on went on behind my back. Yeah. But obviously you hear when first he gets sentenced, what, to two or four years or something? No, the first bid, we call that a vacation. <laughs> okay. Anything under five to a criminal is a vacation. I got to go away for, you know, 12 months, 18 months, 36 months. Right, right. That's nothing. You shouldn't be in the game if you can't do five years. Don't even play with it because that's going to happen occasionally. So he did the first one, no problem. Came back a little swole. But the bad one happened after this meeting, after this conversation. And it started dringling in, something happened, somebody got killed. Did Spike kill him? We didn't know what happened. And he went off the grid. He didn't make a phone call back to us for five years. Oh my, oh my God. God. Why do you suppose? You got a 35 to life bid, why well, call home? Yeah, mm -hmm. he was defeated. I'm dead. Well, not dead, but now I have to adapt to this new reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here for a minute. Fuck calling home, worrying about what's happening on the streets. What's happening right here? I need to focus on this. If I'm going to survive this 20 years, fuck outside. This is my life. Yeah. So it's a weird experience to become iced tea. I don't know for you, but for me, it got coupled with a ton of survivor's guilt. Crime is an addiction. It's just like drugs. It's just like any other addiction. The way you get addicted, you don't get addicted the first time you get high. You get addicted after you got on high a lot of times successfully. And before you know it, you're addicted. First time you break the law, you get caught. You probably will never do it again. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Motherfuckers tell me, oh, I've been to jail 10 times. I'm like, you should stop. You're not good at it. <laughs> 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 Whatever you're doing, you're not good at it. But when you've been successful, 
like I was. Maybe thousands of felonies and never getting caught. See, Spike at one point changed his name from just Spike to Magic Spike. His ego was like, I'm uncatchable because we were so strategic in what we did. He lost his mind. And when he got in this situation, which he never thought he would do because he thought he was playing it a special way, he didn't do the crime. He sent cats, but he sent amateurs. And at the end of the day, somebody unfortunately lost their life. Well, guess what? The law says you sent these people. And it all hit him. He was so embarrassed when I talked to him. He was sad. You know, he was just like, Ice, man, you know that's not what I do, man. We ain't never hurt nobody, man. I'm just like fucked up. And I know I broke the code. I did something that we said was a no-no. But I was trying to get money, man. I was trying to build a war chest so I could be in the music industry. And I didn't want to ask you. And it was sad, man. We thought he was never coming home. When you get 25 to life or at 35 to life, that means you have to bring them a minimum. So 25 to life, that means you got to bring them 25. After that, they can keep you forever. You go to the parole board, they say, come back in 15 years. You go again, come back in 10 years. They have that option. He did get out, though. What did he end up serving? He would call us. And I'm like, ain't no amount of money can get you out of jail. You took a deal with no chance of appeal. The only thing we could do is help you when you go to that parole board. So we put money on the books and we had to wait 25 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. And 26 years, he went to the parole board and we did what we could do to stack the deck. We got the best attorney we could possibly get to walk him in there. But I told him, you got to change. You got to get your head right. So he started doing AA. He ain't even an alcoholic. <laughs> you know why he did AA? Because he knew he had an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, yeah. So he did AA. He did that. He started running the Scared Straight programs because he was a big guy. He did everything he had to do because I said, we'll meet you here, but you got to do what you got to do on the inside. I can't do that for you. I'm not going to sit in front of the parole board. You are. They'll look at you and they can read bullshit. And they'll be like, you know what, Mr. His name's Alton Pierce. Come back in 10 years. On his first parole, he got out 26 years on a 35 to life. Oof. Wow. And he's been home six years. He works at Cedar Sinai now. He has humbled himself, gave the game up. I'm done with that. Dropped magic. And he's now helping COVID patients. It's his retribution. He's trying to level his life out with God. Okay. So I watched you on Sways. And there's a couple of really profound moments when you're getting interviewed by Sways. Yes, sir. Yes, you're a Sway. It's just Sway. It's not Sways. It's Sways meaning his show. I got mm. you. I got you. Apostrophe, yes. Okay. You were explaining that lovers are who you come face to face with. Haters, they're across the street, and they don't cross the street, really. Except when they're on Twitter. Then they can come across the street. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I thought you were doing this really beautiful job of trying to let them know that, like, you can just display love and guess what? You're going to receive it. And one of the gals asked you, well, how do you punish your enemies? And you were like, I don't have that. I can't really speak on that. Like, I've never had anyone come up to me in person and do this. And I don't know, for me, and again, maybe I'm projecting, but I was like, it's heartbreaking, really. There's so many people still that, disappointment, hurt, enemies, all those things are the thing they need to be thinking about the most and preparing for the most. And it's most around them and it's their worldview. 
And you can just see like, God, you were lucky enough to get plucked out, right? And through so much positive reinforcement started to learn, there's a version of life I can have, which is pretty much love. Yeah. When I look around, I can't believe how nice and kind the people in my life are and how actually gentle and peaceful my life is. I'm so grateful for it. And then yet also I'm heartbroken that you can't just hand that to somebody. You can't just go like, try the other way, see what happens. Over my whole career and the millions of people I've met, I could probably count the assholes out on one hand. When I was out on tour with Public Enemy, I remember we knocked this kid out. He was talking too much shit. Like he wanted to be on the bus and we like, no one can come on our bus. He was a fan. And then he decided just to step on the side of the bus and curse us all out. Me and the S1Ws were just looking at him. And I was like, this guy's really feeling himself right now. So I walked outside. I said, come here, man. Come here, man. And I knocked him out. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have a Twitter field between him. But on social media, everybody's behind their keyboards. They can say whatever, like they want to poke the lion. Some of them do it just for the reply. Some of them really hate your guts. But face to face, that hater will stand across the street. They won't cross in. The lover will come and say something to you. One of my models you might want to take is don't worry about what people think about you because they probably don't think about you that much anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a saying in AA, what other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah. (laughs) Which I also dig. People have a problem with you. That's their problem. That's not my problem. You know, you're an evolved, nice, benevolent person. Does it ever break your heart that you can't just touch someone on the shoulder and go, just focus on the other thing for a minute? It has a lot to do with the environment they're in. Yeah, of course. I had a friend, one of my producers, Aladdin. He had made a lot of money with me. He used to come over to my house. I was living in Hollywood Hills, and he would come over there, but he would be dressing like a gangbanger. And I'm like, why are you dressing like a gangbanger? He said, because I still live in Compton. I still got to go home. They don't know how much money I got. I got to live in this environment. So I told him, you need to move. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he took his money. He moved to Hollywood, North Hollywood, and he became a pimp. but his whole swag changed all of a sudden he was dressing better looking cool you know that didn't last for long either but you're gonna have to adapt to your environment and a lot of the kids i'm talking to right now they're just like ice i want to be like you it's too dangerous yeah exactly that's what i'm saying like i don't know it just gives me a lot of sadness where i recognize that the stakes of everything for a lot of guys young dudes it's like I get it. I get the stakes. But fuck, I want you to know there's a whole different existence on planet Earth. And it's worth trying to find it. You know what I never understood? Motherfuckers that ain't from that environment wanting that environment. Like kids that come from really nice backgrounds wanting to go in the hood or wanting that energy. That was stupid to me. That always has been stupid. I'm like, you from where? So I think Colors came out when I was in sixth grade. Again, super violent fucking school. And you're in fear of that. And you see these guys that appear to be fearless. You think if I was this guy, if I was Ice-T, if I was the dudes in this movie, I would be able to exist without any fear. Everyone around me would recognize, just don't fuck with this guy. The rich kids are just as fucking scared. Their stepdad's beating their ass. They're getting molested. They're getting their asses kicked by this, you know. The violence and the trauma, it pretty much transcends all the shit. How many people love Mike Tyson? He's the ultimate fantasy. Anywhere I'm at, I can solve this problem in a millisecond. That's aspirational. I'm so safe if I'm Mike Tyson. 
not recognizing, no, you're actually more likely to die, but you think I would be safe if I was that dude. I think that's the attraction, is hip hop represents fearlessness, bravado, toughness, and all these scared kids, they want that. Makes a lot of sense, but don't think we're not afraid of shit. We're just ultra aware. We're just aware of all the threats, you know, like they say, head on a swivel. You're not really carrying that gun because you want to go shoot somebody. You're carrying that strap because they shooting. And I'm not going to run around with a butter knife if these motherfuckers got AK-47s. So all my friends that are grown, we call L.A. South Central, we call it the killing fields. Most of my friends have left. I got a couple homies over here with me now. We're in Arizona, but they know that the streets are high. And the thing about the streets, when you got your feet planted in the streets every day, you know how it's moving. But when you're not out there every day, you don't really even know what's moving and you're at danger. So people tell me, they like, you go back to the hood. I quote Floyd Mayweather. They ask Floyd if he goes back to the hood. He goes, they robbing broke motherfuckers in the hood. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We interviewed 50 Cent and he basically said the same thing in so many words. He's like, I can't be around that shit. It's too desperate and they know I got shit. I'm at a disadvantage. When I was broke, I'll take off on you, I'll fight you. Now if I hit you, you're gonna fall down and sue me. So I can't walk around like you guys walk around. I can't do it. You know, there's a motto I always say, if you ever fuck with people with nothing to lose, they will help you lose everything you've worked for. I got something to lose now. And even in the gangster world, once you get a family, you become softer. And the gangsters know that. And that's where they hit you. They're going to hit you with your kids. They're going to they find that soft spot. So I'm real soft now. I got a family. I got kids. I don't want to get sued. I tell them, Dax, I'm as nice as you'll let me be, man. I don't want that. But don't get it fucked up. Like, we could be nice or we can get into some bullshit. And I'm very comfortable with the bullshit. I'm very seasoned in that. But let's not go there. Let's just be friends. If somebody was a serial killer and then he became a florist, is he a florist or a serial killer that likes flowers? (laughs) 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 Okay, but with the book, though, there's at least some message, split decision. The message is every single decision you make from this second on can change the trajectory of your life. Everything. When your girlfriend says, let's go out tonight and she's drinking, nah, I'll pass. Or your boy's like, come on, let's go over this way. You like gut feeling, ah, I'll pass. That could be a life or death decision. So as young kids, you just don't think of everything like that. But you have to. And you have to say, I got to be conscious of every fucking thing I do. A lot of my friends are in prison. You know why? They was getting high. And they weren't really thinking things out. Well, you get desperate when you're, yeah, an addict. You do shit you wouldn't normally do. I never done weed. I never drank. I never did any drug. I recently did ecstasy. Did you love it? I found that be my favorite drug in the history of the world. (laughs) Because they told me it was a sex drug. And I was like, I don't do drugs. And she was like, you should try it. You should try it. (laughs) We were in Miami. And next thing you know, I'm rubbing my legs and shit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got back to the hotel and like angels and choir music were coming out of the pussy. I was like, ah. <laughs> I'm not here to promote X. No, no, no. He's no. already promoted oh, all yeah, the I, drugs. I, I on tell this Monica show. all the time, don't leave planet Earth without doing it. You have that moment when you're fucking where you're like, 
I am in a porno. I was in a porno before I started fucking. I was walking around the room like Max Hardcore. <laughs> but the thing about even ecstasy right now, there's fentanyl in all these drugs. I know. You're I know. Yeah, you have to be so careful. And it'll kill you. One time we were in Florida and somebody gave us what they call Molly, but it was in a capsule. And I thought that was pure ecstasy or whatever. I took it in... I was up for three fucking days. It was speed. I came on a Law & Order set like, yo, what the fuck was my life? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, ice is high as a motherfucker. So don't do drugs. Just say no to drugs. How come you didn't drink or smoke weed when you were younger? Like, why did you make that decision? Because I was by myself and I felt it would compromise my situation. I seen people getting drunk, being high. I remember when I was young, I was in junior high. This big homie was like, yo, hit the weed. I'm like, nah. I want to hit the weed. He's like, well, you a bitch if you don't hit the weed. I'm like, if I'm a bitch, make me hit it. Oh, why are you tripping? So once I stood my ground, I never had to do it. And I just never thought being high was attractive. And then I learned that the sober cat in the room is the most dangerous cat in the room. I was like the designated driver before they had the term. Like, I was the homie that didn't get high. If the cops pulled us over... I talk to the cops. I'm talking to him like I'm a white kid. Yes, officer. We're just coming back from a funeral. <laughs> All my guys' heads are down because their fathers got shot by a cop. Honestly, I'm going to tell you. My father is dark. I'm not white. My mother was light-skinned. I would play white on him. I'd be like, my father, he's a white guy. He's a, a state trooper based out of Fresno. I just run that bullshit on him. Everybody liked ice being sober. And still to today, I socially drink like if I'm out and they serve champagne, I'll sip it. A little cranberry vodka, I'll sip it. But I don't like being drunk. I'm not that person. You're a control freak. Well, yeah, you lose control if you're on substance. Control freak only because it was for my life. Yeah, that'll make one a control freak. I always felt if I hit the ground, whose job is it to come find me? I don't got no yeah. mother, no father. I might lay there for a day. Yeah. yeah. You didn't have a safety net, so you didn't act crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Douglas Sentry worked on this book with you and Spike. And he's a damn good writer. Yeah. Well, he's a criminal writer. He wrote one on El Chapo. Yeah. I, that's what I read, El Chapo. I worked with him on my other book. When I got the idea to do this book with Spike, I said, Doug got to write it. Because Doug knows me. And the way he works is dope. Because he takes what you're saying. And when you read the book, you swear to God, I'm talking right to you. And that's a unique way of writing. Once you get the book together, you go through almost six to eight months of just editing. Then we had to go everybody's name in the book. We had to get them to agree. You want to be in this book? Should we change your name? In the book, I say people have to learn how to tell stories without implicating those that may not want that particular story told. So if me and you did something together, Dex, I might have to change that to Fred. Well, give me something more exciting than Fred, but yes, I respect it. <laughs> Some of our friends are preachers now. You know, they've gone on to different things and they may not want to be mentioned in this context. Yeah. Is it safe to assume if this book is a wild success, Spike will benefit from it? The object of this book was to get Spike out there to be able to do some speaking engagements. Oh, wonderful. To talk to kids and tell them not to take his road. To make him somebody that can go out and talk and help. We did an audio book that's dope because both of us did the vocals, so you get to oh, hear us talk. That's cool. That's the way to do it. I count that as one of my new albums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to help him. When you come out of prison, very few people got somebody there to help. 
you. You know, he really wanted to tell people not to fuck up like he did. So that's why we wrote the book. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Split Decision, Life Stories by you, Spike, and Douglas Sentry. Snoop just hit me up this morning. He got his book. So, you know, it's coming out. Let me ask you something. When you talk to Snoop, do you guys ever just get into the corner and go, how the fuck? Look at this. Yeah. I'm on a Cheerios box. <laughs> My seven and nine-year-old daughter watched him judge some singing competition. It's got to crack you guys up. You know what happened, though? The guards changed. Yeah, yeah. Super Bowl, baby. The people that were scared of me and Snoop and Eminem and 50 Cent, they're gone. The new CEO is about 40 years old. And he's like, let's go. Let's go, yeah. Snoop. So I was talking to Snoop or Dre, and we laughed because we're like, yo, public enemy number one. Now you're with Martha Stewart. You know, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yes. Tell me from your point of view, because I was crying through half of it, watching that halftime show going, oh, my God, these are all the kids from 20 blocks away that were supposed to be dead, and they're the fucking kings of the universe, and they got there by being artist that to me was the most triumphant moment i've seen on tv in my life when dre got the call to do the super bowl he didn't know if he wanted to do it because dre does not like to lose and i was just telling him man you got all the best artists you got kendrick all these people you put in the game you got to do it when i saw them kids crip walking i'm like you understand what the fuck snoop <laughs> up there with the blue rat <laughs> but i think what hip-hop told young white kids is we're not mad at you we're mad at things. We're probably mad at the same shit you're mad at. Hip hop and punk rock's the same thing. Exactly. So now that the new power structure is up, like I always said, Barack Obama was the first hip hop president because black people, we only make up 15 to 17% of the population in the United States. You can't win a presidency with that. You win that with a bunch of white kids that listen to hip hop. It says, I'm not afraid of a black man being in charge. I'm not afraid of them. Get that racism bullshit away from me. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's how it was possible. Hip hop changed the world. Yeah, so it's all those kids, we all grew up with many of y'all as heroes. And yeah, I think it was one of the better things that could have happened. Yeah, we're still here on Cheerios boxes and shit. <laughs> 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 well, listen, Ice-T, this was awesome. I'm really, really flattered. I got a chance to talk to you in real life. Full circle. Don't know how I got here, but here I am. We're not done. We're in the second half, you know what I'm saying? So I'm picking up speed. Right now, I'm more busy than I've ever been in my life. Like right now, they could put Ozzy Osbourne on a box of bat cereal or some shit. <laughs> Lucky Charms with bats in it. <laughs> yeah, because people now get it. They like, yo, this is just entertainment. All right, brother, this was awesome. I hope I bump into you in real life, and I wish you a ton of luck on Split Decision. Thank you for supporting the book and giving us this platform so we can promote it, make the right decisions. As corny as it might sound, listen to your parents out there, man. Yep. That's good advice. <laughs> All right, brother. Talk to you. All right, peace. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow-roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. 
outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Vital Farms. And guess what, Monica? I'm back. You're back in the egg game. I am in the egg game. Horde. Mm-hmm. I love eggs. I love Vital Farms. I, I buy Vital Farms before, during, and after they've sponsored us. Yes, they're truly the best tasting eggs. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. They're so fresh. Mm. Those yolks are so orange. Yeah, they really are. You feel like you're getting quality product. Absolutely. Trusted brand. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. We are supported by Celebrity Cruises. I know what you think. As long as you're on vacation, you're happy. But the truth is, some vacations are better than others. And there's one that's better than all of them. Celebrity Cruises. With rooms, food, and service like theirs, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And you won't have to with all the places Celebrity goes. They even have weekend Caribbean escapes if you're short on time. So visit Celebrity.com, contact your travel advisor, or call 1-800-CELEBRITY and see why nothing comes close to Celebrity Cruises. Ships Registry, Malta, and Ecuador. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Reminder to submit your stories for Armchair Anonymous. Is this iced tea? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That makes sense then. Bookended. Yeah. I like to remind people. I really appreciate that you remind everyone. People are forgetful. Yeah, I am. People often put in the comments like, what was the book you referenced? And it just, they just heard it. And I almost sometimes feel like it doesn't take longer to ask on the comments Instead than to of, rewinding it. Yeah. But I understand. <laughs> sometimes you're busy. You're listening to it while riding a motorcycle in your ear pods. Sure. Earbuds. Yeah, sure. Ear pods or buds? What do you call them? I call them headphones. But headphones don't, <laughs> headphones imply like the big brace around the top of your head, like, like we're we, wearing currently. That's a good question. I think headphones still count as the ones that plug into your phone. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's another great distinction. But that's what I use. I don't use pods. You don't use AirBuds? No. Okay. AirBud. Kevin oh Zeger is my good friend. Star of AirBud. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Dingle, dingles. I use Air Max. Is that what I use, Rob? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Air, AirPod Max. AirPod Max. No, no, because they're the not big pods. Boys. They're no, headphones. They're the biggies. They're called AirPods, though. AirPod Max. Ooh, Max. It's the Max, Monica. The Max. The Max for the Monica at TJ Max. Get the Max for the Monica at TJ Max. You remember their slogan? Get the Max for the minimum at TJ Max. Get the Max for the Monica at TJ Max. Wow. I think Max is great, but I think Kelly's husband. I, I love Kelly's husband, Max, yeah, 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 and yeah. I also think the and Max Verstappen. You love? No, I don't. Okay, um, <laughs> but I do think he's talented. Anyway, Max is great, but they shouldn't put pods in that word because it's not a pod; it's a straight-up headphone like the ones we're wearing without a cord. You agree? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a little okay. It's confusing because the AirPods are the just the earbuds. Yeah, confusion in the marketplace is what we're dealing with. Like air, I understand, because no cord. I got to pump something. I never pump my own 
wares on here. Okay, go. But I, we have shit I don't even know we have at Hello Bello. Like, there's products we have that I don't really know we have. Okay, like? That's not a great testimonial to start with. This is like how you start every armchair anonymous. But the everything body balm, have you tried that? No. Oh, my God. Is it great? You, it's not petroleum jelly, but you'd swear it was like petroleum jelly. It, it is so smooth Ooh. and silky oh. and not oily. Nice. And I've recently discovered it. And I'm putting it on top of my tattoos and stuff. I'm like slathering myself in it. I found it because I freshened up my hair dye. Uh -huh. And before I put the hair dye on, what I was in the market for was a big layer of petroleum jelly along my hairline okay. so that the dye doesn't get on my skin. Sure. And that's a move you can make, I know, from the past. So I think I went into Kristen's drawer looking for that and found this big tub of the Everywhere Body Balm. And I used that. Wow. And then I was like, I love how this feels in my fingers. Oh my God, I'm like, feel so good on my forearms. And I just started slathering myself. Ooh. Kind of like Brooklyn and Sheets. Is that writhing around in all this oil? Oh my God. Oh, I love it. It's okay. dry, but it's oily. Mixed it. messies. And the uh, container is beautiful. It's beautiful blue. Is it glass? Hmm. Mm -mm. It's not. No, it's like a little plastic bowl. Mm. It's like a bowl. It's heavy though. Oh. It's gorgeous. Anyways, I couldn't believe we made it. It's so great. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm going to slather it. You know, when you have free products that are great, I'd appreciate just you some disbursement. That's a very justifiable ask. Okay. But as you just learned, I just learned of it. I know. So I couldn't have been giving it to you and like I just discovered it. But now I'm all in on it. Now, tomorrow, uh, yeah. I'd appreciate Okay. <laughs> We'll do it. Bomb. I mean, look, Hit I'm me. a tough customer. I know you are. Your skincare regime, your awareness of the marketplace, the products, the and tinctures. And remember I told you the about toners. the really good Spanish baby wipes. Yes. And uh, <laughs> was not appreciated. Because <laughs> I do know about her baby wipes and I love them. I love them too. Yeah, yeah. That's my go-to. But I didn't bring them. And went then abroad. I went abroad. And then I got a really cool baby wipe. Oh, my God. Was <laughs> it sensual? No, but okay. it's... This oil's sensual, I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, but All a right. baby wipe probably shouldn't be sensual. Not for a baby, but if mm. you're using... If an adult's using it on themselves and it's sensual, that's... I'm fine with that. It's fine. It's just like, that's not the purpose, but sure. No, it would be an added benefit. Like, you were trying to clean things up and back. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and if you were cleaning things up and back, and it did get things really clean and back, yep. and yet it was also sensual, great. You're right. Yeah, it's just uh, added... Perk. Wow, there's a ding, ding, ding. What? We did talk about in this episode the funerals where they are posed. Yes. That's just a ding, ding, ding for our prompts. Oh, right. Do we ever, maybe you have it in the fact check. I can't remember if it was in the Dominican Republic. No, yeah, you that, said Dominican Republic, but it's Puerto Rico. It's Puerto Rico. Okay. That was uh, my fact check. Okay. I'm going to transition into something serious. Okay. You're going to try to segue? Yeah. Okay. So yesterday, I was on Facebook. I never am on Facebook. You have an account? Yeah, I've had accounts oh, since, you know, yeah. day one. Okay, great. You know, I was first, I was second year in, of Facebook. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Because you knew it had been a, a Harvard EDU type thing? Like, no, no. Like, the first class yeah. that was, oh. inv like, invited to Facebook was 2004. Okay. And I graduated 2005. Congrats. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Anywho, so I'm an OG, but I was on Facebook and 
my very good friend from home, I've talked about this before. Whose husband was shot? Her husband was yeah. shot at the golf course where he worked. And someone did a Sports Illustrated interview uh, or like piece. He did a piece on that whole story. And there was like kind of a podcast on it. There's this audio 20 minute interview where they talked about it. And then they also talked to Ashley. Okay. My friend. I listened and I was just so, I was like, this is so sad. <laughs> like, uh -huh. this is just so upsetting. I can't believe this is someone I know. Right. You know, it was just a lot. And then I go and I edit this episode. Mm -hmm. And I felt very conflicted after oh. having just listened to this story of my friend whose husband was shot and it was a drug thing. Okay. To then transition to this episode with Ice-T where he's talking a lot about this world and drugs and... Bank robbery. His friend who he wrote the book with, who goes to jail, but then is now out. Someone got killed in that whole incident. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to separate these two things. When we recorded this, I wasn't thinking about it at all of like, oh, there are like people on the other end of this. Well, I think, yeah, it's a vague concept until it's very personal. And then it's it, it comes with all kinds of different feelings. Yeah. I just want to make sure, and I know we didn't do this, but there was something about it that I was like, I feel like it's really important. Because we were laughing, of course. We were like laughing and engaged. And yeah. it's like, I think it's really important for us to say that we don't condone that behavior and that we definitely don't mean to glamorize that behavior. And I don't think we did, but... Or, or I'll speak for me. I can't say yeah. for you. Uh, I don't. Anyone that would think we're pro-murder based I, on that? I know, but I'm just saying when I listened and we're kind of, we're pretty cavalier. Right. Really quick. I think there's a reason for that. We're talking about things that happened 30 years ago. I think if we were talking about his friend who's currently robbing banks, it would have a different, absolutely a different tone. I think because we're talking about something that happened in the past mm. and the guy did injure someone clearly i don't even think ice t explicitly stated what happened but clearly someone was killed yeah and then that person has spent the last 20 years in prison it is a different proposition to talk about than something that's active it's like the way i can tell funny stories about being a drug addict and almost odin because we know i didn't but you're talking about yourself in that case in this specific case about the person who was killed that doesn't get less intense for the people in that person's life forever. Like Absolutely. I agree. I think all things are true. Like, yes, my heart goes out to anyone that's experienced it. And if it happens to me, I'll be heartbroken and can't go forward. Also, we can talk about partying and drinking too much beer. Someone's son got alcohol poisoning and died. Yeah. And because that happened, it doesn't mean that every conversation I have or have about drinking excessively has to include an acknowledgement of all the wreckage it's caused. I think it's okay to have compartments in my head about what is the nature of this conversation? Are we talking about proposed legislation? Are we talking about what people are owed? Are we talking about things we can do to prevent it? Are we talking about a bygone time where people narrowly avoided dying? You know, there's, they're all different. I think it can get too broad for people. I think like this happened to a friend's comedy show I know. They're doing an improv set in front of thousands of people. 
and um, one of the suggestions comes up a, a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It's two guys playing it. They're doing this delivery on the thing. Afterwards, someone in the audience is like, that was so distasteful. How dare you treat that with such levity? I had a miscarriage last week. I feel bad for that woman who had a miscarriage. And I don't think we can live in a world where people on stage can't make jokes about a delivery. It's not the responsibility of everyone else not affected to change how they're living their lives because something tragic happened. No, oh, yeah, no I one know. said that to me. I'm just telling you how I felt when oh, I yeah. listened that I felt like that's uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable to be like, that's really serious. <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't say that to a guest, perhaps. Yeah. But but when I was listening back and I was hearing myself laugh at some of these things, I was like, that's not funny. That's really serious. I got you. I got it's you. It's just me. By the way, this isn't a light episode. It's not like we laughed the whole time or I just felt that the whole time I was listening. And my reaction specifically was not the same when I listened back. Yeah. And I think if I had a daughter who succumbed to an eating disorder and died and I ever heard people talking about us just frankly discussing whether or not Kardashian was right or wrong to say that thing. And then Lily has her perspective and none of us are talking about it with the weight that I would need it to be talked with if I went through that. Sure. And I also just think that's yet just another tragic, terrible layer to it. Mm -hmm. It sucks for anyone who's lost a loved one mm -hmm. to hear other people talking about the same thing lightheartedly yeah or just but, not but with i the also gravity. think it's just the reality of it life is. it's like it's unavoidable like there's not gonna be a silver lining to anyone who's lost somebody like i don't yeah. think the world changing how they talk about tragedy is actually gonna have any impact it's just like it's brutal it's terrible and it must be heartbreaking to hear people talk casually about such serious things right but i also just think that's reality yeah i think context is also everything if we had a true crime show and we were laughing our way through it, that'd be a mismatch. But right. we have a very lighthearted show. We could have spent the two hours with Dog the Bounty Hunter shaming him that he was involved in a homicide. Like he was the getaway driver in a homicide. He went to prison for mm -hmm. it. Whoever's child died in that homicide, what they deserve is to hear Dog apologize for two hours to them. Mm -hmm. There's no question. That is what they deserve. But I'm not going to have dog here and make him apologize for two hours yeah. for something that happened 25 years ago. It's just like, it's not why I would invite him on. Right. No, I don't. I'm not advocating for that at all. But, you know, but it's yeah. a really common. It's like we have guests where, you know, came up, they said the N word in the 90s. It's about to happen. We're about to have a guest that is known to have used the N word. That'll be a big thing on our comments. Why don't you ask her about saying the N word? I'm probably not going to ask her about saying the N-word because she already has addressed it 45 times. Mm. And she said as many times as she can, she regrets it. And I'm I'm either not going to have her on, but I'm not going to have her on to hear the 100th time that she apologizes right. for having used the N-word 20 years ago. Yeah. I would just rather not have her on. Yeah, I don't have a guest that just left. People are going to be mad I didn't grill her about being Scientologist. Yes. I, and and that's okay. They They should go listen to shows that are about outing people there are those shows they exist for everybody yeah but to want every show to be the exact same thing i push back against or yeah. i just i don't uh, concede to yeah anyway okay he mentioned max hardcore now that is a 
porn actor. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. His name is Paul F. Little. That's ironic. Does he have a big hog? A big hammer in his pants? I don't know. I, it doesn't say. You, odds are a porn star's got a big hammer. That tends to be who they cast. That'd be my in those. guess. Yeah, so the fact that his last name's Little is very Duck Duck Goose. Mixed messies. He rose to prominence in 1992 with the film series The Anal Adventures of Max Hardcore. Oh, okay. Which in 94 <laughs> was awarded the X-Rated Critics Organization's Award for Best Amateur or Pro-Am Series. Now, again, really quick. I don't want to get too bogged down in this. If I'm the father of the daughter who Max anally invaded, I don't <laughs> think this is funny. But it's also okay, it's wait. funny that the thing that the guy started in is called like the anal invaders. Wait, wait, wait. But also these things. No, not invite invaders, adventures. Oh, wow. That's kind of more lighthearted, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't think anyone was invaded. I okay. think everyone was consensual in this film. You hope. Yeah. 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 So it's, again, not the same, right? Well, (laughs) but if your daughter had a drug habit and then she ended up in this movie and so the whole thing's really regrettable and Max Hedrum, what's the name, Max Little? Hardcore. Hardcore Max (laughs) took an adventure in your daughter's asshole and we're laughing about it and you're the father of that daughter or you're that daughter, it's not funny. It's not funny, but I also don't want to say those are the same, someone getting shot in cold blood. And someone who has a drug problem who found her way into a porn, that's not the same thing. But it is the same in that the the information for the person close to it is insufferable. Of course. And then for those who are not, either Max yes. Max Maximum, what's his name? Max Hardcore. Max Hardcore, I'm so sorry. If you're <laughs> for everyone that's not Max Hardcore or the people whose ass he took an adventure in, <laughs> it's funny. And I want, sure. you know, it's it's the same in that way. That It's simply uh, not funny to the people that are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Apparently he directed it also. Oh, wow. he's a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. <laughs> As we say in show business. <laughs> okay, he said that, he was talking about the Harlem Crips and that how they got connected to L.A. Like, he was just like, oh, we're not going to go there why it's called Harlem, uh-huh. even though it's in L.A. He did a couple times acted like if he were to have said something, he himself would have been threatened that's scary right like i felt like there were a couple moments in the conversations like he was about to say like i'll tell you more about that but i there's no way i would tell you that in public oh. i'd probably open myself up to some mm-hmm. kind of retribution in 1961 a hurricane prompted the first major wave of immigration from british honduras to south los angeles which was already home to street gangs like the crips and the bloods the spread of gangs among belizeans accelerated in the 1980s Following a wave of gang violence, ethnic Belizean gang members were deported back to Belize. Deported Belizean gang members quickly spread the culture of Bloods and Crips in Belize City. While the gang was in Belize, it adopted the current name. Um, By 1995, the gang was active in Harlem, New York City, and responsible for several assaults and shootings. In 1997, the gang was making $4,000 per day in drug sales. Yeah, they originate in Harlem, New York, and tend to be older than the typical active gang member in South Los Angeles. Rolling 30s. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I remember him saying that. Okay, this kind of tied in. Okay. I noticed this 20 years ago when I lived in L.A., and my friend Scott and I were looking at some ballot measures. We were about to vote, and one was some gang initiative. And I said, I don't know. I think everyone's so afraid of gangs. Like, all you got to do is say it's going to crack down on gangs and you can get any amount of money and anything passed. Like, we're just, it's, you're so fear-driven. You're not objective at all. So, similarly, talking with Eric and his buddy Andrew the other day, mm-hmm. and we were talking about who's running for mayor, right? Mm. And they were talking about this candidate 
and would you vote for him? And I said, I don't really know any, what he's about other than he wants to clean up the homelessness situation, the unhoused. Mm. They said, oh, and he's really, he wants to crack down on crime. Mm. Okay. And I said, I mean, on paper, that sounds great. Crack down on crime. And I, real time, I looked this up. I said, I actually think LA's insanely safe. In fact, I think I've even heard things on the news like it's much safer to live here than any rural place in America. And I looked up deaths. The way they do homicide is per 100,000. Okay. So I, can I read you like the top 10? Yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna have to, am I going to have to research it? I thought it was a tab I already had open. Ooh, history. Google Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> using Safari on that phone? No, this is not it. Oh, boy. Anyways, you know what? I'm not going to find it. Okay. Um, the point is is that I did the top 100. Mm-hmm. LA wasn't on the list. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but the top one had a murder rate of 10x of what we had. Wow. Our murder rate is five per 100,000. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's insanely low. Like when you compare it to other cities, yeah. it's it's one of the lowest. And so for someone to run on the platform of I'm going to crack down on this, yeah. to me is, I think it's preying upon people's knee-jerk fears of things. Yes. Speaking of this, someone was shot at my pharmacy. Which we agreed <laughs> is the least shocking thing we've ever heard. Despite what I just said about this being a very safe city. When you said someone was shot at this unnamed yep. pharmacy, this unnamed pharmacy is in a shopping complex with like three different vape stores, um, a nutritional supplement place, which is really just all of the uh, legal over-the-counter psychotropic drugs you can take. Uh-huh. There's so much riffraff going in, oh. on in this this plaza. And they shut down our unnamed pharmacy that we used to go to and directed everyone to this one. Yes, I went twice and I was like, fuck this. Yep. Whatever ailment I'm here to correct with medicine <laughs> is not as lethal as this parking lot. Exactly. And that's still mine. Someone got shot there. Yep. Inside unnamed <laughs> pharmacy. Yep. And uh, David Ferrier's friend got punched there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, yep. maybe it should start hanging out there. <laughs> I know. It actually sounds like a place uh, you'd yeah, love. I'd love to get a job sweeping floors and just patrolling the place. If you would love to be in charge of picking up my prescriptions, I would be so Grateful, happy. yeah. I'd be so happy. I get very scared. I don't know why you're not moving it to the Albertsons, which is I 10 am. feet from your house. I am about to do that, but okay. I've done it. I did it once, and it was slow. But oh. <laughs> Okay, well, you're going to have to choose speed over lethality <laughs> in this case. I know. Anywho. See, I'm laughing about that. Someone yeah, got shot. There you go. I know. I'm bad. I'm a huge part of the problem. I'm the problem. You are the problem. <laughs> and I hope this new mayor cracks down on you. <laughs> okay. He said black people make up 15 to 17% of the population. I thought it was 12. I guess I was wrong. 13.4 is oh, the current. Nice happy medium between the two that, of us. Yeah. Middle ground. Middle ground. A compromise between iced tea. The middle way. The That's middle what way. the Buddhists say. The Swedish. Oh my gosh. Ding, ding, ding. Iced tea. I should have yeah. started with this. Okay. Last night was the Emmys. Uh-huh. And Kenan Thompson hosted. Oh, fun. I love Kenan. Yes. I really want to have him on this show. Me too. At the beginning, they did kind of this musical number of all these different shows. Uh-huh. And they did Law and Order. Oh. And he said at the end something about putting iced tea with lemonade 
Oh, he wanted to do an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> Some, something like that, but it was an iced tea reference. And that was a huge sim ding ding ding. Absolutely. The timing couldn't be better. I know. Um, okay, this is really quick, but you guys mentioned Ozzy Osbourne and bats. And just in case people didn't know or forgot, he bit the head off of a live bat. Right. That's yeah. what made him really uh, public enemy number one. So people hated that or they just oh, thought they, it was they, so it gross. Was, well, it was also at the height of the um, satanic moral panic, oh. right? So it mobilized all these Christian groups to petition their venues to not allow him to play there. It's a boycott oh, to wow. threaten to arrest him. There were cops. It was like the Elvis thing. Wow. Elvis, of course, shook his hips. Yeah. You know, the police would go and they were threatening to put him in jail for shaking his hips. It's all the same yes. shit. I don't know. Again, if you're an animal lover who particularly loves bats, I totally I understand. <laughs> but in the in the broad scheme of things, this is you're reacting. This is all the same thing. It's the gangs. It's biting heads off bats. It's satanic. Yeah. It's, it's all branding. You're succumbing to branding. He does that and you react. So then kids are more drawn to it because yeah. old people hate it and Christian groups are boycotting it. So now it's really appealing. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's it's true. like the left going after Joe Rogan. All they did is mobilize many more people to be in love with Joe Rogan, even though he's not left or right. The result of the left, the, the few people on the left that got public about boycotting Rogan, the end result was a huge net gain in listeners for I, Rogan. Is it? Yes. Because you had all these people that normally wouldn't even listen to him. But now that to piss off the left, they should listen. Well, I don't know if it's to piss off the left so much as it's what's this? Oh, this must be actually crazy because if it's this bad, like, what is it? I want to know. There's looky loose, but he's like anti-Trump. So it's like on one hand, he's anti-Trump. But on another hand, he's saying he wouldn't get vaccinated if he was 20 years old. Right. And so because the left freaked out so much, it made him appear to be a spokesperson for the right. So then they rallied around him hmm. and dramatically increased his listenership. So it's like all things aside, if your goal was to get more people listening to Rogan, you succeeded. If your goal was to get less people to listen to Rogan by this boycott, you failed miserably. Right. I've said my two cents. You said you're like 25 cents. Yeah, I've said my $10. <laughs> That's all. That's everything? Yes. Okay. You're off on a plane in a couple hours. What's that song? Leaving on a jet plane. Jet plane. Mm -hmm. Don't know when I'll be back again Sunday night. <laughs> so you're leaving for Nashville. Yes. You're going to go. Well, to more than Nashville. Bristol. Night race. You're NASCAR. NASCAR race. <laughs> well, I hope you have so much fun. Thank you. What are you going to do? Okay, fuck off. Sky's <laughs> the limit. I'll probably have some cake. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, I love you. Love you. All right. Toodle-doo. get back.